Welcome to Power Through, a podcast for marginalized women to come together to learn, listen, and explore our experience at our particular intersection of womanness and everything else we are seen as in society. Power Through, child literacy, books as mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors. In this episode, I'm in conversation with Keisha Sirabois, PhD. Dr. Sirabois is a globally respected scholar. Earlier this year, she launched her own literacy consultancy called Dr. Keisha Cares. Dr. Keisha Cares specializes in strengthening parent-child relationships through enjoyable reading aloud and meaningful play. Through her TEDx talks, international leadership, and early childhood research within China, Hong Kong, and the United States, she brings a diverse and unique perspective to her work within literacy education. Today, I'm in conversation with Keisha Sirbois. Um, She runs a series called Caring Conversations, which is how I found her. Um, And she has a PhD, but like, why am I talking about her? Let her introduce herself. So welcome, Keisha. Thanks for being here. I'm delighted to be here, Shannon. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself um, and how you got into this work that you do. Sure. Um, I am a global literacy consultant. I um, (laughs) got into this work while completing my doctorate at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, I was, I had done my master's in Beijing and I was already engaged with working in uh, parent-child dynamics, adult-child dynamics, and I loved the early childhood field. And so by the time I was, pursuing my doctorate, I was, you know, starting to think about what is going to be my research topic or what is the question I'm going to spend the next X amount of years running after. I feel you, girl. (laughs) Right. You know, that moment. (laughs) Scribbling down all sorts of notes you don't go back and look at. Right. (laughs) And I, the thing that really uh, stuck for me was when I looked at literacy. Um, because I am, I hate the term first generation, because I'm really just the first person that got access. There were plenty of people uh, in my family that were brilliant, but that's a whole nother kind of area. But in the sense that when I was doing that research, a study came out, uh, an international study that looks at literacy specifically. And in that ranking, Hong Kong had the world's lowest engagement a parent-child reading aloud. And so the rest is history. Like I, I, I got involved and I've stayed involved, but that's what pulled me into the work. And it's just amazing that as we have this conversation, we're now in another situation within a whole different, you know, I'm in a whole different continent, a whole different country now. And it's just as, if not more relevant. So. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I was like, um taken aback so you in preparation for our talk and like kind of getting to know each other um I watched your TED talk Mm. and it was so good it was really eye-opening the information that was shared in such a short amount of time Mm. about how important um reading aloud is right so it's like one of the things that we kind of pride ourselves on in our family is um that we start reading from 
basically birth until yeah. forever <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because I love to read. Like, you know, you know, we've had a couple of conversations now that yeah. um, I'm constantly reading. Like I'm reading research and I'm reading books for fun and I have a lot of things going on all at once. But reading is something that always just like, it opens your mind and also allows you to escape sometimes into your own little world where like other people aren't in it with you, you know? And so, so it's just really powerful. And I really wanted to pass it on to my kids. I wanted to pass on that love of reading to my kids. And one of the things that I remember as a child, so my, my dad is like an avid reader. Like he loves reading my mother too. My mother's a writer. (laughs) Um, so from very young, we were, um, we would use our nightly routine as a, as a place to kind of, uh, sit down and connect with each other and read a story. My favorite book is The Little Engine That Could, right? Like, yes. like my absolute favorite book. Great. I think that did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that has just, it stuck with me like, you know, six maybe when I, when that, when I, when I remember reading that book aloud to my parents. So they had read it to me from like birth. But then mm-hmm. I was able to read it to them when I was like six. And I was like, this is like so cool, you know, that I'm reading the book. And um, I encourage my son who's six and a half to, to read out loud because it helps to uh, formulate that vocabulary. And we can talk a little bit about what's happening. So he has like it in his, in his mind that he can read it all inside of his head. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're six and you're not going to grasp everything. So he tries it and I'm like, okay, so tell me what the story was about. <laughs> even if you're reading silently, being able to then talk about what you read and how, um, what the themes were, who, who's doing what in the book, that's still a form of like verbalizing what you've read, right? Mm. Um, but I want to encourage my kids to read aloud for as long as they will. Because <laughs> one, I love to hear their voices, right? Mm-hmm. And I love to watch them figure out what words say and you know, my son is, he's going into first grade. And so figuring out how to put words to get, like how to make those sounds make words um, is really fun when he figures out the word and then can connect that word in his mind (laughs) to what it actually is like tangibly. Mm -hmm. But why do you think that reading aloud and child literacy is so important? I get the sense that there's a bit of a distance in how you're looking at child literacy and reading aloud. Can you say more before I respond? How are you seeing child literacy and how are you looking at reading aloud? So um, I feel like child literacy is an ability to connect ideas that we have in the world to ideas inside stories and how stories reflect the world around us. Mm-hmm. And um, reading aloud is more of connecting that, those thoughts that are in the themes in the story to our actual lives. Mm-hmm. And so um, reading, so I feel like reading aloud makes children a little bit more aware of the, the ideas that we're trying to get across in books. Mm. Okay. Well, the way in which I approach uh, children's literacy, reading aloud, I am all about the joy. (laughs) I'm all about the joy. So there are plenty of other spaces in a child's learning journey 
where we're going to delve into phonemics and -hmm. we're going to get into the critical literacy. And I don't take anything away from those camps. What I firmly stand in is that power of the bonding that happens when an adult and a child get lost in a story, mm-hmm. the natural curiosity yeah. that a child brings, like I'm all about building on that and turning reading aloud into something that they are anxiously waiting on, uh, eagerly anticipating, because that grows, to use your vocabulary, that grows their interest in children's literacy and that builds that lifelong reader or that actual, Stephen Krashen calls it that flow, where the child starts to read independently on their own mm-hmm. because they're lost in what a story can do. And that builds from positive experiences that they have in the course of it. Uh, I can stop there because there's, there's yeah. a whole <laughs> world <laughs> we yeah. can start to launch into. No, I, mean, I think- talking about, you yeah, know, no, I think- joy and stepping away from some of the rigidities we were taught mm-hmm. and how some of us were socialized to learn and understand reading because parents often um, teach what they were taught, whether that was right or whether that was the best fit right. for uh, the child. Yeah, and I mean, I that's why I love having these conversations, right? Every time we get into a conversation, we're like, can you tell me more about that? Can you expand on this? Can you do that? You know, because that's, it's so important to have a different viewpoint, right? And like you're, I would consider you an expert, right? <laughs> I am. Yeah. I got to prove it. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> and stand in it. Yeah. Right. I played this. this. Yes. And I, I just appreciate the, the conversation that happens, the challenge, the push that we that we that we we put on each other right to um to kind of explore thoughts and ideas and that's what i hope to pass on to my kids right is Mm -hmm. that at some point far in the future maybe like three years from now because my son's only six so (laughs) um but maybe he will be able to um to have to start having some challenging conversations with um with his friends and some of our family like let's be real you know because he already has some of that you can see it some of that like ready to to talk about everything (laughs) fight in him and so I can see that happening (laughs) I can see him becoming one of me (laughs) let me let me let me throw this out in terms of the research we know that children are literally unless you know we're dealing with developmental delays or special needs children then of course the conversation shifts but for the most part a healthy child that's born uh is breathing genius breathing genius um that first year their brain is firing at its highest capacity and up until age three uh, 80% of all of the brain neurons and synapses that are, you know, what form you're learning. I mean, a child can't stop learning, um, particularly, you know, that first five years. But the first three years, like, it's just everything. Is, they're like a sponge. Yes. And so I just shared this because, like, honestly, at six, he's fully capable. I just, I just literally listened to a webinar right before we got on. Of this call, 
And, um, you know, it was a C-SPAN conversation, brilliant thinkers talking about, you know, um, abolitionist teaching, you know, shout out to Dr. Patina Love. And a eight-year-old child was the last question of the night and she asked the most profound question. Most profound question. So like, I, I am always amazed at the brilliance of children. Now their vocabulary right. may be different <laughs> yeah. from what we're used to hearing, but their thought process is oftentimes more advanced than ours, which is why children ask us questions that can stump us sometimes. Like they might lead you down the road of why, and then they hit you with the zinger. But <laughs> children are just, they're profound. And as a mother, you know this yourself, like, you know, a child will ask you a question and you won't have an answer for it. Yeah, you know? it happens all the time. <laughs> it, yeah, like, I mean, they, they have the potential. And why I love the work that I do is because what I have built a business around is supporting schools, educators, adults, parents, the whole gamut. I work with the whole spectrum globally on how do we create spaces within our curriculums, within the rhythm of our household, without, within the systems in which we've been ingratiated with to just allow a child to be brilliant. To yes. just get lost in a story. And then how do we repair the damage that has occurred within our parent-child or adult-child relationship throughout the course of the day? Because, you know, sugar, honey, iced tea happens. Right. Right. And nobody is wearing the perfect adult hat at all times. Your child isn't on perfection the whole time. In fact, they may freely let it go, uh, particularly now as a lot of their social freedoms are, you know, consistently stripped away for a very long amount of time. Like we need spaces where we can depack, you mm -hmm. know, we can de-stress, we can literally sit down in a loving and joyful way. And that's why I love stories because it creates, like we said, um, to quote Dr. Rudine Bishop Sims, the windows, the mirrors, the sliding glass doors. So where we can like really think through what did we just experience and do it in a neutral format through the third person voice of a story. So it's mm -hmm. not Shannon, I'm really blah, 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 blah. And Keisha, why did you say blah? Mm -mm. We move past all of that. We talk about the characters. Right. And we can use them as a vehicle for how we felt. And then we can build that bridge. But it's this dynamic serve and return relationship. And this is getting into Harvard's research, uh, research center on the developing child that I just, oh, I love them so much. Yes. Thank you, Harvard. Thank you, Harvard. So you said books as windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors. Can you expand upon what you mean by it? Sure. Um, giving full credit to the original uh, Black woman uh, out of Ohio State University. She was a professor. Um, and she did significant work around um, the whole history of African-Americans in children's literacy. Because honestly, this is a relatively new phenomenon in the sense of it's not until the 1970s that you start to see books that are written by uh, African-Americans within children's literacy. Right. And I mean, whew, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. If we start talking about 
all the systemic injustice and racism that children's literacy was subjected to to go ahead and continue these patterns of oppression. Yes. Uh, you know, you have it in the history of the nursery rhymes. But when she was doing her work, she was a pioneer at this time. And uh, Dr. Rudin said simply that books should be mirrors. Like we consistently hear books should be mirrors and windows, right? First of all, we rarely credit uh, Dr. Bishop. You know, we just sort of say it as a colloquialism, but no, this is a statement that was rooted in a black woman who did the work. Um, but we also leave off the other part of that statement. She said books should be mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors. Of course, mirrors, within what is written within the story, I should see an opportunity to see myself reflected somewhere in that story. Um, in the terms of a window, there should be an opportunity where the book or the story opens up a space for me to glimpse another reality, whether it be positive or negative. There's that chance to open up the window and look beyond myself and see something that I would not have automatically saw. And then she talks about the sliding glass door, which I think is the most important part because it begins to say, there should be an opportunity for me to engage and walk through into another experience. But that sliding glass door isn't one way because oftentimes in the way we approach this, the child who was marginalized, the child who was seen as quote unquote uh, at risk, at risk of what, you know, right. that right. child. A whole other whole topic right. for another we, day. <laughs> we want to show them, you know, what life can be like. But what she says is we need to make sure that the child who is seen as privileged can walk through because what we risk is that child developing an egotistical view of the world because they're constantly reflected. They constantly see windows that affirm them. We need an opportunity for that you know, two-way communication, that sliding glass door, we need traffic going in both directions. And so that's why I love her work and I build so strongly upon it and how I curate my literacy, uh, literature or how I go about uh, blending the sciences with the literacy that I build to support my clients. Yeah, and I mean, I think that it's, I'd never heard that before we had our like, we talked for the first time, right? I never heard like the full sentence. I'd heard mirrors and windows, right? And I'm like, okay, so really those two things are quite passive things, right? So you're seeing yourself reflected, you're seeing other people, but there's no engagement that happens. And I'm like, there, you know, when you said that there was that extra part of the sliding glass door, I'm like, this makes complete sense, right? Because we want some of the passive, we want to be able to see ourselves. Representation's important. We should be able to see ourselves in the stories that we're reading, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that's through looks or feelings or um, ideas that we have or the way that we, that we um, view ourselves in relation to the world that we live in. And then it's really important to be able to see what other people, what other people's experiences are like, right? So there's that window, but then so important, like, as you said, walking, being able to have that exchange and walking through the sliding glass door that can be open from both sides, right? Because sliding glass door has two handles. So who's opening the door, you know? Who's, who's coming inside? And that's, right? Get me, yes. And that's, and that's, 
for me, it's like, you know, when I, I hadn't really considered that, but the way that now I view the books that I'm reading with my kids, I'm like, are there these opportunities for them? Right. Do I have the right library for this? (laughs) You know, now you're talking about criticality and Dr. Goldie Muhammad, this is a woman who was alive and breathing and in the work right now at Georgia State University. Her book, Cultivating Genius, yes, like it's all about developing that criticality that says all of the things you just said, who built the door? Who's opening, you know, who's the person who slides it open? How often does one side open? Who, who's doing the crossing over? Yeah, girl. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. And it's so so since our first conversation about this particular mm-hmm. topic, I was I've like looked in my library and I've actually bought new books because there are because there weren't a lot of opportunities for all three aspects, mm-hmm. right? And so it doesn't have to be that um they're in every book, but it's important that there are books that allow that sliding glass door to open. Yeah. You know, and it's very important to have self-reflective books Mm. and by themselves, you know, to see yourself as like, okay, I can be a protagonist in the story. Mm -hmm. I'm not always the antagonist. Right. And then it's really important to have books where my kids can see others being heroes and themselves being heroes and then working together to be heroes. Right. Um, those, it, it was just like, it was so like, I just like mind blown when you, when you were talking about this last time. And I'm like, why? And, you know, I introspectively am like, well, okay, that makes complete sense because the books that I seek out have all three aspects. So why, why aren't I allowing that for my children? Like the books that I read for fun, not for like school and work and stuff like that. But, you know, why aren't I giving, allowing my children to have that? And I think it does go back to the way that my parents didn't really show me that that was a thing because you know I was born in the 80s late 80s and it wasn't really um there weren't a lot of like children's books that were for me right I'm a mixed race black woman so this I just told you they didn't start writing books right. by black authors till the 70s I know and that that was still just like one aspect they, right you know, they just now started thinking about you like five ten, I know right <laughs> I want to tell you a funny, a funny story, actually. So, um, so last year in 2019, I don't follow the beauty pageants or anything like that, but last year, all four of the main titles went to black women, right? right? And they all had Mm -hmm. different shades of skin, different Mm -hmm. hair types, different hairstyles. They all looked like me, but they weren't all me, if that makes sense. (laughs) And I was so excited, right? Because it was all over the news and I could like sit with my daughter and be like, look at all these beautiful princesses you could be, you know, Mm -hmm. because I didn't have that when I was a kid. I didn't have that, um, that representation. And it's so important. And so I've tried really hard to make sure that my children are at least represented, but I hadn't really considered all three of the aspects when I'm curating my library. Mm -hmm. So I want to know about what you do for families. So we, we already established that literacy helps with bonding, mm-hmm. right? And reading aloud especially helps as well. Um, this time in history has caused a lot of people to kind of re-examine the offerings that they have in their world, right? <laughs> the politically correct way to say it. I, I love 
your diplomacy on this. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody um, else would have just had beeps all over. Right. <laughs> so, um, so we know that it's important, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and intellectually, I think a lot of people know that it's important to have different offerings in their worlds, right? Like one of the reasons that I kind of got interested in representation, um, this has been like my work in like the baby space, if you will, mm -hmm. for, since 2017, right? Because mm -hmm. I, because like when I became a mom, there wasn't a lot of people who looked like me doing like all the things I thought that I should be doing. Mm -hmm. um, I had my second child in 2015 and in 2017, I was like, this isn't right, I'm gonna change it. <laughs> and, then recently there was a wooden toy company who was just really inflexible on offering diverse like people right they're little peg people mm -hmm. and it was something that you know happened at the right when the revolution started like it was like literally like a week before george floyd was murdered and then everyone kind of got on board and was like kept like emailing this company saying why don't you offer diverse toys. We've, I've been doing this for, this for two years, right? Why don't you offer diverse toys? <laughs> why can't I see my kids and why can't I see myself? Yeah. And this all just kind of took off. And then there was like this whole movement within parts of the baby space about mm -hmm. representation and, and everything mattering, right? Because mm -hmm. our lives matter and our visibility matters, right? And that's kind of what galvanized everyone that I know that I like currently am in conversations with mm. to kind of um, change the course of what they're offering in their in the world that they have right in their home right because you can only control so much but in your house you have complete creative control over what's offered like what your kids can play with what they're reading all of that sort of stuff right mm. so how do you work with families to curate those book lists and why does it work better when they work with you? <laughs> How do I humbly answer this question? Honestly, out of all of the different demographics that I work with, working with parents is my absolute favorite. Like um, I have some clients out in Singapore and our first meeting was at like 1.30 their time. Um, and I got up at like 1.30 in the morning because I'm on US time now. Uh, they thought I was still in Hong Kong. Yeah. But I love working with parents that I took a nap. You know, by the time my consultation ended, I was amped. Like, I was still up. And I ended up, like, giving them an additional 30 minutes. Because I'm like, let's just go. We're here. Um, but in terms of, like, what someone gets when they schedule a consultation with me as a parent, they get someone that takes the time to understand what is the rhythm of your household. Because why I, I studied the home learning environment because, you know, I'm, I'm about to show my, you know, mm -hmm. my blackness, but I'm sure other people will identify with what goes on in this house stays in this house, right? Right. And I was always fascinated by what does that mean in terms of how anything happens in the home? And what does learning look like in the home? Because it's not going to replicate what's in the classroom. There's a whole different range of relationships. And so when you begin, by the time someone comes to me for a consultation as a parent, there's some tension. There's some sort of 
Jada Pinkett has ruined this word. You can't even entanglement. <laughs> right. You can't even use the word tangle right now. Like Jada, I wish you would have had better discernment. But anyway, there's some unnecessary complication. Right. <laughs> there's some unnecessary tension. Something has gone wrong. And so usually uh, my clients come to me that are parents that are like, we have this milestone. A lot of parents are coming to me about school, mask, COVID worries, engagement, these things. And I take the time to understand, you know, what are some of the things that you understood when you were taught um, literacy or reading? How do you engage? What has happened in the way you do this with your child? Tell me about your family. You know, because there's more than one child sometimes. Like, tell me, what are your children into? And then we build all these things. And I work with co-parents and parents who are married and same-sex. I mean, I'm all about the diversity of parenting. And so I find ways to not only curate, you know, collections, but I write curriculums. Yes. I write curriculums. And then I, you know, for my consistent clients, we so it's like, it's almost the equivalent of, um therapy like mm -hmm. mental therapy like i i love my mental therapist i meet with her like at least twice a month and my ability to serve effectively as i am serving is because i take the time to unpack the things that may have happened to me that i may be holding on to that may be weighing down my brilliance and so once i get that out of my cycle i can operate at my highest function and so I try to do the same thing with my clients. And even in the way that I curate my books, I make sure that I'm finding ways to link. Like one of my favorite recent experiences was I had a client, she's co-parenting. And, you know, it's a, a mixed race child. And I was able to curate some book selections that bring in various cultures within the story. And we found ways to invite the father's family to come in and see parts of their story. Like we found a mirror, we found a way to open up a window and we invited them to walk through that sliding glass door. Yeah, that's so that's good. In a nutshell. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> You're listening because you wanna win the giveaway that's going on. Your, oh, keyword, yeah. your keyword is complications. <laughs> Um, so if, if a family um, either can't afford to work with you, even though I know it's very reasonably priced, mm -hmm. um, don't cool. win the giveaway. In the space. Yeah. yeah, and don't win the giveaway. Um, what is your best advice for parents who want to increase diversity in their libraries? Absolutely. So I started this company with a desire to help parents navigate COVID. And this was back in May like before all the protests and everything started, because I was looking at what had happened in February, March, and April. And we were already dealing with a lot of unemployment within the U.S. And so right now, and even continuing, I do a free segment on YouTube, which is how, you know, we met. Yes. Uh, right about now, it's every other Thursday, um, because your girl's getting busy. Like the calendar's booking up. Um, but that that's a testament to the quality of the work. But every, you know, every other Thursday, even now, there's about five hours, six hours now, six hours of free 
uh, content on the Dr. Keisha Cares YouTube channel. Uh, the last one that I did was talking about COVID worries. And within every one of my videos, I within the video description, I list out the books. I give you links to the research because I, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those academics, like I'm a scholar practitioner. I take nothing away uh, from listeners who may be in the university system or maybe in the classroom system. I see you, I salute you. We need everybody, you know, involved. But for my positioning, I make sure that I don't hide my knowledge from anyone. You can read the same documents I read. Here's the link. Here's the citation. Like I don't, even in the way that I find research, I make sure that it's publicly accessible so we can dismantle issues of access, uh, all of the hidden financial privilege that's within our education system. Yes, you know, girl, all <laughs> and so like, if you have access to YouTube, you have access to me. If you have access to $50, you have access to me. If you have access to more than that, then you have the ability to access me on more in depth levels. But I am available to any and everybody every step of the way because I am a child that got through the door because somebody had a program and invited me to pay attention. Yeah, and I think it's so important, right? So um, it's kind of it's it's partially why most of the work that I do with within um, race and how it operates in society is available on my Instagram, right? Because I don't want to put it behind a paywall. I don't, and as much as like, sometimes the work is labor intensive, it's like, it's for the betterment of society, right? And so my, my whole ethos is the same, right? I think this is why we connect because I'm not about, yeah. not about making people pay for things, right? Like, I think my time is valuable, but at the same time, it's like, the information should be out there and it should be easy, easily and readily accessible. I agree. I agree. In fact, <laughs> to the listeners now, right now, um, you probably won't see a lot of commercials on my YouTube videos, but I do believe in investing in my work product and turning a profit from it. So I may not charge you, but I may pursue sponsorship. I may pursue grants. I may, you know, have commercials. <laughs> within those YouTube videos so that some sort of uh, payment is occurring because your work, my work, anybody's work that is of quality, it costs you something. Yes. It costs us materials. It costs us books. We are swallowing a loss in some instances in order to make this available to you. So anytime I can find a way to recoup some of those losses or build in other funding mechanisms, be it foundations, grants, or sponsorships, I pursue it with no, no hesitation. Because even if it's made free to the general public, there's somebody that wants to support this, that's somebody that wants their name associated with that. And I think that's absolutely something that we should have to validate and recognize the work that we are both putting out. Yeah, and I think also, speaking to um, sponsorships and people wanting their names associated, like most of the tech companies are making money off of us anyway. So why aren't we making money from them? Yeah, just to use you their know? platforms. Right, yeah. just, because, just because we don't charge the public doesn't mean that we don't deserve to be paid, right? And I think that's what it boils down to. Um, so 
tell us once again what your YouTube channel is and how people can find you. Sure. Um, I believe in synchronicity. So Dr. Keisha Cares, uh, K-E-I-S-H-A, across all of those platforms. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I have a website, drkeishacares.com. Uh, that's where you can go to schedule consultations or email me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but if you go to the website, all of the social media handles are there. And I'm really excited because as I continue, like I've, you know, Dr. Keisha Cares is a fairly new uh, entity, but it builds off of the seven, seven years of research and work that I've done in this area. And in Hong Kong, I actually established uh, a social enterprise and I ran that company for five years while doing of my doctorate. So Dr. Keisha Cares is about two months old at this point, but yeah. it stands on five years, you know, prior business knowledge and seven years uh, just in the research right. area alone. In terms of teaching, I did the girl, I did the math yesterday and I'm like, oh, goodness, thank goodness I have a skin routine. I have been in the field of teaching and <laughs> education for 30 years. Wow. This win, right. 30 years. I have a birthday on Thursday. And I was like, oh my goodness. Yes. It's been 30 years. And speaking so, yeah. of his birthday, um, we are doing a giveaway, <laughs> an hour with her for, for her to work with you to create a curated book list. And we, I'm so excited because- Dude, like I'm just sending out good vibes. Like yes. whoever did, like universe, send me somebody to pour into. Yeah. And it's, I, I feel like it's, once you do it, you know, we've had, me and Keisha have had a couple of conversations um, over the past few weeks and mm. every single time I talk with you, it's like, I get, I get something new out of it, you know? And so I feel like this is such, going to be such a blessing to somebody to be able to have, to work with you and to get that seven years of expertise from you. And I'm, I'm and I mean, this moment is just, oh, it's like a researcher's paradise. In a right. Of, I'm telling you. There's so much information, like, if you choose to look at COVID in a positive light, the access to information that we're seeing right now is unprecedented. Like uh, access to conferences, yes. foundations just doing free webinars. Like I am listening and talking to, thanks to this keyboard, I am chatting with some of the major people in the field, asking questions yeah. and volunteering like never. You don't have to go to, this is stuff you normally would have to go to a conference to do. Right. Or, you know, and like with downloads and guides, I mean, I am, listen, whoever wins uh, this giveaway is about to be saturated in social emotional health, relationship building, resilience. Like I'm in conversations right now with people in just I'm not going to drop names. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing some outstanding stuff. And so the people that I get a chance to directly engage with, because with the YouTube channel, it's great. You know, I do it live so you can comment and give a question, but I'm looking for those people that I can engage with, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a different experience when you're, yeah. when you're having that interpersonal connection, right? Yeah, I can Instead of just talking to the, to the screen. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm yeah. so glad. I'm so glad that we we're able to offer this in honor of your birthday. Thanks. And um, again, if you need the keyword, it was complications. 
Um, okay, so I always close the um, the podcast with the same two questions. So, what's one thing that you do that others think is weird? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I know that answer. You want me to wait to yeah. both or okay? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I really geek out about children's books. So like um, I shop for children's books. Like I'm shopping for clothes or shoes or handbags. <laughs> Like, I am so, <laughs> and the thing is, like, you know, I have this passion for children's books, but I'm a great aunt, but I'm not a mom. I'm not, you know, I'm not married yet. So, like, it doesn't even, like, there's no surface level rationale. Right. I'd be so geeked <laughs> as I am about children's books. But, like, whenever I'm asked this question, I tell them, it's like, when I see a children's story, I see an opportunity. Like I literally see a band-aid for a relationship. And well, so when great, I'm going great thing to it's say. True. It's true. Like when I'm going through books, I'm looking for medicine and vaccines and ways to just patch up those emotional relationships and strengthen those, you know, adult child bonds. And I get joy from that, particularly when my clients or people who like you, you know, I meet people. And they're like, you know, I love what you said. And I took that. And, you know, my child says this. And when they have these epiphany moments, because they're trying out my methodologies or they're engaging in talk, read, sing, play, which is a curriculum I've been pushing since day one. Oh, yeah. And so I, I just I love children's books. That, um, that phrase of that you're looking at books as Band-Aids, it just like gave me goosebumps. Like, just because it's so, it's like, so profound right because it is books are a great way to to heal yes. and to disrupt the cycle right because we all the black community we have all got some trauma going on girl um, you know what <laughs> on the podcast dr keisha Sarabois copyrighted books as band-aids yes <laughs> yes it's it's amazing i'm telling yeah. you okay and then finally What's, what's your hope for the world? Mm. My hope for the world is that we come out of this pandemic with more sliding glass doors. Oh, yes. That yes. we're walking through. Like, yes. I, I want to see more sliding glass doors. That would make me excited yes. about the world our children are going to grow into if we have more people walking in and out of sliding glass doors. And I think it's totally, it's so totally doable. Like a lot of the things, you know, as adults that we were like, oh, it can never happen. You know, we can never not work nine to five, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, or oh, you can't work remotely. There's too much work to do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, all of this stuff has been dismantled, right? And we made it work because of this pandemic. We didn't have a choice. Yeah. And so now that we've shown that it can be done, like how do we, how do we pass that to our kids? How do we, and to be fair, like, you know, some of the studies that are coming out uh, that have been, you know, surfacing since May, June, July, they are acknowledging that parents are definitely stressed. You mm -hmm. know, that there is a, we're seeing a larger uh, in uptick in mothers resigning from work. We're seeing an increase in alcohol sales. More parents are acknowledging that they're drinking. Like, I don't want us to leave this with this, like, we're not making assumption to the listener, like we're, we're not naive and understanding that there is still stress. 
right. even in the studies that I've seen, you know, parents are acknowledging the APA just did an outstanding series on stress and they talk about parents. But one thing when they're asked, you know, well, what are you happy about? What, what, what's some of the silver linings that have come out of this situation? 80% of parents in the APA uh, study, they said, the relationship with my child has strengthened and I'm grateful, you know, that I'm learning more about my child because we weren't spending a lot of parents, you know, the, one of the reasons why COVID hit a lot of parents as hard as it did is because they were used to being week, weekend families, mm -hmm. you know, in the sense that Monday through Friday, they were at work, the kids were at daycare, the kids were at school. I see you in the evening. I feed you. I love on you. I, you know, make sure you're in bed and then you get up in the morning. And then Saturday, Sunday, you know, we have family day. We do stuff, you know, but even then, you know, you got karate or violin or extracurricular or church group. And so really it was kind of just like one day, which was usually Sunday, where everybody, you know, was pretty much there. COVID knocked all of that off the table. Like it was a Jenga tower and COVID said, let me show you what I can do. <laughs> yeah. And so as we all continue to figure out, you know, what new tower we're going to build, I really want to insert, you know, a Jenga block that ties in resilience, that brings in the research. Like I love the joy, but the professionalism is tying the uh, brain chemistry and all of the things that the research, the scientific research has shown us with that joy. So yes. that we're using it to grow a growth mindset. You know, like, mm, yeah, I can talk. I need to have you back so we can just keep <laughs> talking. Um, but I just want to thank you so much for being here um, and for offering, for like lending us your time and offering some insights into what you offer, why it's important. It's like, I'm just, I'm so full now. I'm like amped up and ready to go, you know? <laughs> so it's just amazing. Like, I love, I love talking to you. I think that anyone who, um, who seeks you out is going to find joy just in listening to you talk about this because this whole time you've just been full of smiles. <laughs> you know? yeah. And it's just, it's, it's so infectious and I'm just so grateful for you. Like, I really am. I'm so glad that our paths crossed, right? And without COVID, that may have never happened, you know? That's so mm. it's just friends for life now. <laughs> yes. Continue to thrive. Like, that's the thing. Like, people are quick to say what COVID has taken away, but I challenge you to find what COVID has given you. Yes. Oh, my gosh. What a business. It has blessed me with opportunities to connect. Like, COVID has allowed us to really think about what matters most. Now that we understand how quickly things can change, a lot of us have opportunities to redesign what we're going to be engaged with and how important our families are. Like, woe to us if we go back to what we were once things level out. Because this won't always be life. Like, at some point, we're adaptable human beings. Whether things change or not, we're going to adapt, we're going to level out, and we're going to have, you know, a decision to make as mm -hmm. to who we choose to be going forward. That is the beauty of this moment. So I just in sisterhood, I acknowledge you. Thank you. You've actually given me the title.
for what um, I'm going to put the next caring conversation, books as band-aids. Band I'm dealing with stress, so I'm like, yes, that's what community can do. So that's the power of our dialogue. Like, we both Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Powers Through. Your support means more than you know. Your support doesn't cost anything. Liking, commenting, and sharing on social media is very much appreciated. You can also review the podcast on your platform of choice and share it with people that you think would enjoy the content. You can find Powers Through on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Thanks once again for tuning in to Powers Through.